0: music mm-hmm. fans this is Jessica and tonight I have a great interview um, with um two lovely ladies um with uh, uh Emily Strand and and uh Amy Sturgis who are both editors for a new exciting Star Wars volume that's come out recently called Star Wars Essays Exploring a Galaxy Far Far Away this is a book that is already out already available for purchase and um this is something that you know we we've talked about novels and comics and all kinds of things, but these kinds of um, you know nonfiction, almost academic works, are kind of a, a beast in and of themselves. So I'm so excited to have Emily and Amy here to talk about what's gone into this volume, who um, who who would enjoy something like this, and I hope that um, you'll you'll enjoy this conversation as well. So uh, Emily and Amy, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for having us. Delighted to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's just you know start off. Um, I'd love if you could both you know kind of introduce yourselves and just kind of how you came to be involved in a project like this. And feel free to include anything that you you wish about your own background, your involvement in um, Star Wars and and other um, you know IP like this, and how you found yourself attached to this project.
1: Okay. Well, I will dive in. Um, I'm Emily Strand. And I I just want to apologize right now because I'm on vacation in in Western Michigan. And I've got this elaborate setup going on with my phone and my, you know, anyway. And so I just ended up knocking over my phone just a few minutes ago. So, hey, that was me. Um, It's all very precarious right now. So I live in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I am from originally from Cincinnati. I studied at University of Dayton, um, for my graduate, uh, my master's degree. Um, and I am a theologian. I'm a theologian and a liturgist, like what, and a church musician. So like, wh- ha- what what happens there? You know, how does a person like me get into Star Wars and Star Trek and, and Harry Potter? Um, so I um, have always, you know, it was kind of a tussle in undergraduate for me between um, literature and theology, which were my two kind of competing Majors, I ended up kind of smushing them together into one big major. And um, so I've always loved books and stories, but I've always loved um, ideas about transcendent reality. And so um, I've always wanted to pursue both of those. So as I um, pursued my graduate degree, which is specifically in Catholicism and Catholic uh, worship, Catholic liturgy ritual, um, I continued to be an avid reader. Um, and that was around the time that the Harry Potter books became really popular. Um, In about 2001, 2002, they started really sweeping, um, sweeping the nation. And um, so I picked those up. And I was like, wow, Um, my brain had never really um, been so saturated with speculative fiction before. Um, I was more of a classics um, kind of reader and a non, you know, no science fiction or anything like that. So my brain really lit up and I got kind of wild for Harry Potter. So I started to um, Look into going deeper and that was when podcasts first started being popular also. Um, So I started listening to podcasts about Harry Potter and fighting with them arguing with them as I ran around the track at the gym and people thought I was crazy and it was clear that I needed a place I needed a home in these podcasts and so I didn't, I didn't get that right away, but I, I found out about an institution called that was eventually called Signum University, which is, um, an online institution for the study of speculative fiction, like Tolkien, like Lewis, like Rowling, like, um, science fiction, like Bradbury, like all these wonderful things, um, Star Wars, Star Trek, et cetera. And so I took several courses from, um, Signum and graduate level, master's level courses, um, wrote some Papers did some really, um, you know, kind of learn what literary criticism was all about in terms of uh, of these um, kinds of properties, um, especially. And and then I ran into the possibility of taking a course on Harry Potter, which was kind of my goal in the first place. And of course, that course was being taught by a certain Amy H. Sturgis. So I was like, ooh ooh, I did the, the Hermione thing, and I was ooh ooh, hand in the air. And Amy's course was just so great and so inspiring. Um, I ended up writing a paper for it that ended up getting published in um, a scholarly anthology called Harry Potter for Nerds 2. And that kind of got me into going to conferences and talking about, um, you know, Harry Potter and um, other things. I got um, asked to be on a couple podcasts by then and I could talk back finally. Um, and I, and then, but then I immediately got into Amy's next course, which was on Star Wars, which I wasn't sure. It's a really long introduction, by the way. Hi. Um, I wasn't sure if I was really going to like Star Wars. I was like, I'm kind of interested in it. I'm not really sure. I don't really like war. War is the title. I'm not sure it's going to work out, but I ended up becoming so completely head over heels in love with Star Wars that it is sort of, um, taken over my life, which is, is just fine with me. So it's all, it's really all Amy's fault. And then she taught a course on Star Trek only a couple of years ago. I took that as well. Really, really enjoyed and learned a lot from that too. Um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll get into how we got the opportunity to edit the books. So I'll, I'll turn it over at this point to, um, to Amy to to introduce herself and, and, uh, make some excuses for her role in my life.
2: (laughs) I will very proudly claim that. It is an honor to to be a part of of your amazing story. Thank you. Uh, So so my story is actually kind of a flip of that in that I grew up with science fiction. I was, before I ever went to school, when I was still a toddler, I was watching uh, Star Trek, the original series in reruns and Star Trek, the animated series in its original run side by side, uh, back and forth. And so when a new movie came out that everybody was talking about uh, called Star Wars, I was able to make a case that convinced my parents I was old enough to go to the theater and see it because I was already a Star Trek fan, right? And so I went to see Star Wars in 1977, and that was the second part of the one-two punch with Star Trek and Star Wars that that really set me on my course. So I went to kindergarten with my Leia buns and my Chewbacca knee socks. And I had the inflatable lightsaber uh, that would then spring a leak. And then you'd either have a limp lightsaber or a lightsaber with duct tape on it. And I (laughs) grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek. And fortunately, shout out to my local Uh, Star Trek Star Wars science fiction books and comics store Starbase 21 in Tulsa Oklahoma they had an annual science fiction convention called Trek Expo that was Star Trek heavy but also had quite a lot of Star Wars and so by my teen years I was going to my local science fiction convention, I was reading fan fiction, which I discovered, which, because I'm old, was in fanzine form that uh, was mimeographed and sent about. And so I grew up with that as part of my life. And with those competing narratives, of Star Trek with one particular view of history and Star Wars with a very different view of history, sort of in conversation in, in my worldview and my my understanding of, of the universe. And so I ended up becoming a historian and I did my PhD at Vanderbilt in intellectual history, which is the history of ideas. And it seemed very natural to me then to go to science fiction to study the history of ideas, because science fiction is the genre in which the ideas are the heroes. So I have been really fortunate to get to turn my fandom (laughs) into also an academic career. And I uh, teach undergraduate courses and graduate courses. I'm at Lenore Ryan University and Signum University for graduate courses. And I've been able to teach and write about and publish on Star Trek and Star Wars and the Gothic and science fiction authors like Lois McMaster-Bujold and people like that and Harry Potter and other things as well. And since 2015, I've been very fortunate every year, sometimes every semester, including summers, to be able to teach either an undergraduate or a graduate course on Star Wars. And so it's really exciting to me to see this as this intergenerational, Um, phenomenon where m- my parents love Star Wars, and I love Star Wars, and so does my sister. Now, there's another generation of my family who that, that, that also loves Star Wars, but also seeing students come to Star Wars from so many different entry points and how that changes the questions they ask of Star Wars and also the answers they take from Star Wars. So it's been uh, a real thrill. And then when, as we'll talk about the bit, uh, Emily um, very, very kindly invited me to be a part of this adventure with her. Uh, it was a no-brainer to get to work with her and to get to work on on uh, these texts that mean so much to me.
0: That's so lovely. I mean, thanks so much for that, you know, detailed overview of both of your, your backgrounds. Um, kind of fun to see connections. I am Uh, I I have two degrees in history, both in theology. So (laughs) it seems like I kind of overlap with both of you. Um, So yeah, I'd love to pick your brains, um, you know, more in both of those regards, but maybe that'll be for another time. Um, But I I love books like this, you know, being from academic spaces, the idea of edited volumes where everybody's contributing a chapter on a a topic that you know a broader topic that everybody's interested in it's like I I love that I love that idea of being able to like just kind of bring all of these voices together to have people contribute their own um little niche topics and with this work in particular I mean there's just such a wide breadth of 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 topics and ideas something that's going to appeal to everybody so um Please um why don't we talk a little bit about the um, genesis of this book and kind of the, the the vision from the start.
1: Okay, I will start that story. Um, it starts with um Midichlorians as all good stories do. Um, I gave you know, I think it was in February no, it must have been February 2021. Um I gave a talk at uh, the Southwest Popular and American Culture Conference. It was online because of the pandemic. Um, and I gave a talk about Um, And it was from a paper I had written for one of Amy's courses. And it was a sort of defense of midichlorians. I've never understood why people will just accept that like, in Harry Potter, you either get your owl from Hogwarts at eleven, or you don't, and it's all fine either way. You know, it's more exciting if you're a wizard. You know, <laughs> but still, it's not like this horrible thing if you don't. You know, but then in in Star Wars, like this one mention of midi sent everybody through the ceiling about how oh now the gate, the force is being gate kept, and only special people can access the force, and it's like I know it's really just the same thing as Harry Potter, and also Qui Gon said midichlorians everybody has them right if you have cells you have midichlorians right so anyway so it always kind of drove me nuts so I wrote this paper as you can imagine from just that little snippet (laughs) the paper was like basically 15 minutes of this of me ranting and giving all this textual evidence about why midichlorians really just aren't aren't as aren't as bad as as everybody says they are it was in a panel that was a, um, a panel that was devoted to Star Wars and Star Trek so I didn't really think much about it Um, although other than that, it was fun and I was appreciative of the opportunity. But then about a couple of weeks later, I get this email from an acquisitions editor at Vernon Press saying, Hey, would you like to edit a scholarly volume and think about putting together a proposal for a scholarly volume on Star Wars and Star Trek? And I was like, Yes. (laughs) Yes, but um, I definitely don't want to do it by myself, especially since you know I was pretty well versed in Star Wars at that point. Star Trek was still something I was kind of pulling on memories from my childhood watching the original series I hadn't really kept up with a lot of the different um shows and i knew i knew enough to know that there was a lot of star trek and so i immediately thought of amy and i thought you know i thought gosh this would be fun for us to do together and and back then it was just a singular volume um, that was envisioned um and so so i will turn it over to amy amy you
2: want to pick up the story from there Thank you. Yes. so you came to me and and invited me to be a part of it, which was absolutely thrilling and the easiest decision ever made. And so we put out this call for papers for completely multidisciplinary, um you know, sky's the limit. Uh, what what have you got for us? Uh, call for papers for Star Wars and Star Trek. And, quickly became obvious to us that with the responses we were getting from from scholars all over the world, (laughs) that we didn't have one book that was half Star Trek and half Star Wars. We had two books. And fortunately, Vernon Press was on board with that. And so we split the, the projects and both of us ended up very involved with both books, but I ended up sort of taking the lead on the Star Trek volume and also contributing an essay and Emily took the lead on the Star Wars volume and also contributed an essay. And we worked together across this time to really try to balance in both books. They they have similarities in this regard. This idea of how we take a snapshot of decades of storytelling of multimedia storytelling in these franchises so for example in the case of of star wars here we have works that are using a microscope to look at star wars and works that are pulling back with a wide angle lens to see really big patterns but we didn't want to limit it to films or television series so we were able to find really remarkable scholarship on games and scholarship on tie-in materials like novels and comics and those sorts of things, and about the language generation uh, that is can be traced in, in Star Wars and Star Trek, actually. So there's the goal there was not to limit ourselves, but to pick the best proposals we could find and then work with those authors to, to make a project That would then show the depth and breadth of what's being done at the time, you know, and and looking back from 1977 to 2023, what is Star Wars telling us? And so we've been really excited also with the idea that this should be a project that can be taught, that can go to classes and show here's what a philosopher would say, here's what a theologian would say, here's what a political scientist would say, but also that any interested fan. Could pick this up, and it would be accessible, and there's not any kind of barrier to entry with jargon from one little, uh, you know, discipline off here in the in the corner, but that it's all uh, accessible and something that that anyone who's interested could pick up, and so it's it's just been a fantastic experience. And I should add one more thing, and that is we really had a, a fantastic. Um, honor of getting to work with a cover artist, Emily Austin, who did original cover art for both of the books. And uh, I'm just in love with the <laughs> with the cover. Oh, yeah. uh, so so uh, we've just had a re- a really fantastic opportunity to connect with with creators who were all invested as we are in getting the messages across in a way that we hope will appeal to a lot of people.
0: I really think that you've you've hit the nail right on the head. I really love like I said, like coming from academic spaces, I love this. It feels very academic, but then when you read it, like it's not filled with academic jargon. This is the kind of thing that like maybe not everybody is going to want to read essays of this style, but please if you're not you know if you don't see yourself as academic don't let that be a barrier to you picking up this book because this is just like the kind of thing like if you have a passing curiosity about any of the themes or the topics in this book like this is going to be a fabulous um, book for anybody I also love the fact that you said that you didn't want to put limitations on what kind of content could be included, or that it sounds like the publisher didn't impose any limitations. I spoke um, with uh, Stephen Kent, who um, recently wrote um, how the force can fix the world's great, you know, um, political, uh, you know, uh, um, kind of, kind of a, a reflection on Star Wars and the virtues that we should be cultivating as we live in multicultural community. And just, you know, Like, how how Star Wars can make us better people? (laughs) And I, you know, he's got so much in there reflecting on politics and culture and all of these kinds of things. And I loved it so much but um, you know I, I think it's kind of funny that um, Emily you mentioned like you know oh, kind of being wary about Star Wars got war in the title well see that's my see, see I fixed that by just hyper fixating on the pacifist so I love <laughs> Satine Grease and and pacifist yes. Mandalore that's what yes. um, you know that that's my specialty and I felt like her presence was very much missing in Stephen's book and so I had asked him about, you know, why, you know, did did you have any thoughts about including her, and ultimately, but also being in publishing I kind of knew that her inclusion was probably less his choice, and probably more something coming from the publisher, saying, let's stick with the live action material that more people Mm -hmm. are going to know and he confirmed that yeah that was kind of the case Mm -hmm. with that. Um, so I, I, love, you know, what, what I've looked at in the book, um, you know, just as an example, um, Amy Rishau, is that how you say her last name? Um, she has a wonderful essay on the evolution of the, the Twi'leks in the Star Wars universe. And so going from, you know, right from Ula in the original trilogy, all the way up to, you know, what we've gotten very recently, um, with, um, um, you know, characters, multiple characters in Book of Boba Fett and in the High Republic series. And I love that she was able to get, you know, um, legends material, comics, um, video games, all, all kinds of stuff to be able to trace the evolution of the way that, you know, the the the, the role that the Twi'lek people have played in Star Wars. And um, it, it's a fascinating topic, especially considering, um, Amy brings it around to the idea of the other in Star Wars and and making sure that we're looking at this like this isn't just about this fictional race of people, of, of humanoids. Mm-hmm. It speaks to something much more about the way we tell our stories and who we center in our stories, what mm-hmm. they mean to our stories. And so, um, yeah, no, I, these kinds of works, I think, are so important because I think that we can um get so bogged down in just kind of like little fandom tiffs, just little 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 twitter Twitter arguments and these kinds of things. Yeah. But this is the kind of stuff where you get really, really um, intelligent and and deep thinking people offering different um, uh, different thoughts that you just might not think about unless you uh, take the time to delve into them as deeply as all of these lovely scholars right. have.
1: And and it and Jessica, you, that's really a good gr- a great point because we we took. I mean, this is a multi-year process, right? So from the the creation of a proposal, you know, that goes to you know to answer to the call for proposals, um, to the the acceptance of it, and then the tweaking of the idea. Like, what is going to be your main point with this? Like, you know, this is great that you want to do this, but what is going to be what conclusions can you draw from these things? And Amy Rakow just did such a fabulous job in giving us that what, so what, the answer to that so what question. So so Twi'leks have come through this evolution. So why should we care about this? You know, another, her proposal was just so exciting to me when I first read it. I was just like, oh, we have to do this. This is going to be so good. You know, another one that was like that for me was Eloise Thompson Tremblay's chapter about mothers in star wars i mean you know basically what eloise had to say to me was mothers and star wars and i was like yes we're doing it we're doing it you know <laughs> because there's so much to be said and i've always thought that that was just an area that the story just necessarily i mean i, I say necessarily maybe an argument can be made that it's not necessary but necessarily just sort of glosses over to get to the action of the story but you have these women standing there you know, left behind by the narrative and so often disempowered by the narrative and by the male hero of the story. I, I was flipping, I mean, okay, I'm gonna be honest, the book is still new. It's at my, it's at my house, I'm on vacation, so I don't have it. I have a, a, a digital copy in front of me, but I was, I was picking it up and I was, you know, holding it as you do a new baby. And I was leafing through it. And I was kind of, you know, just kind of flipping through it. And I got to, I flipped to a page and it was this entire section on Shmi Skywalker and I'm like, I saw the section header and then I flipped and then I flipped and then I flipped and it was still the section on Shmi Skywalker and I was like, yes, yes, somebody is writing this much on Shmi Skywalker because no one, I don't, I really don't think anyone ever has, you know, maybe on a blog somewhere maybe and I, and God bless those folks, you know, for, for devoting that time. But in an academic work of literary analysis on this for, for that much devotion, to be devoted to Shmi or that much um, analysis to be devoted to Shmi. And what she did was she revealed so many wonderful truths about the character that just fly by in the one film that she's in, the two films that she's in, you know, they just fly by. And then she's a plot device and, and we've moved on, right? And, and she's there to make sure Anakin gets to the next stage of his development. And instead, you know, Eloise took the time to really really tear that apart and, and find out what's making it tick. And and I just those moments were just so um special to me to 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 kind of foster along and to say just to keep asking the questions and saying, okay, more here, more here, or or what about this? You know, um it was just such a privilege to be part of that with people.
2: And if I could jump on that, one other thing that that what both of you have said made me think of is this is being a, a multi-year process and constantly working we went through blind peer review with scholars to to make sure all of these works were exactly where they needed to be and such but we also really had the good fortune that both the press and most importantly the authors were committed to having this be e- each of the works be as up to date as possible and so you had some really fruitful lines of questioning about star wars that could be updated. <laughs> and several of these went through updates, not because they hadn't thought about things, but did you see what just happened in Andor? Okay, well <laughs> we're going to need a new section. And the the uh, you know and and as you were just talking about the twilick episode, uh, the the Twi'lek essay is a perfect example. Um, uh, Vicky Tarilli's uh, essay on makers and craftspeople in the Disney era of Star Wars has. An, a fascinating section brought up really up to the moment with the latest streaming works and the same is true for Emily's chapter um, on uh, uh, 2187 and bringing Andor into that and one of the things that I found really delightful is seeing how these speculations connecting the dots, there are messages here we saw that unfolding in real time as Book of Boba Fett and Andor and Mandalorian were saying things that in fact provided more evidence to support these arguments and we had the good fortune to be able to go back and say we need to to bring this in and make it as up-to-date as possible because this <laughs> this just adds you know to the to the meatiness of of these analyses and so we were able to do that and I think that's It speaks a lot to how devoted these authors were, that they wanted to take these arguments all the way and make them as up-to-date as possible. But it's also exciting because of the timing of the publication. This I believe is one of the very first works uh, that will bring in analysis of everything from 1977 up through the the present day and capture um, information about some of these you know, new streaming series and and new uh, novels and works that are really up to the moment and show continuity and at times, you know, rupture in this larger picture of uh, where Star Wars is going, but the big picture at any rate.
0: Yeah. I really love um, the idea that like, not only do all of these authors get the chance to talk about their individual little blorbos and the the characters and the the themes that they care about. But it is, it's, it's fun to be able to take the, you know, like you said, the microscopic look and then the macroscopic look and and trace evolutions of these things. And, you know, like you said, sometimes there are ruptures. And and I like that books like this can provide a place for that kind of exploration that is equal parts, celebration, and a little bit of criticism. I just think that like there's you know, there's a thriving fandom <laughs> that I think lives on on arguing together. And you know what? That's never going to change. but i I personally wish that there was an easier way to come together and say, "Hey, the reason that we're all here having big arguments is because we love this stuff. we We argue because we love. And what i what I do like is that in formats like this, you're able to kind of step back and, and that ability to celebrate something, even while maybe recognizing that something doesn't fit into your, um, you know, you know, continuity of interpretation or, you know, like like it, it offers a place to be able to bring those thoughts without it having to be like, oh, well, you're just, you know, you know, dragging this into the mud. It's, it's a, it's a place to explore.
1: Mm -hmm well in in a sense you, you you might drag something into the mud because you have enough esteem for it that you think it can take it you know and you can you, know, you can get a little dirty and and then you can take it and wash it off and keep playing with it you know if that's you know dr andy higgins wrote this great chapter on the language development in star yes. wars and to be honest in 2023 it's a bit of a dicey story And, you know, uh, that had to be acknowledged in the chapter. And, um, you know, Andy worked really hard to make sure that that part of the story came through. And because there was cultural appropriation that went on and there was just plain old, you know, some dicey business with regard to the way that some of the audio was collected. Um, by some of the makers of Star Wars. Uh, you know, giving people, you know, giving indigenous folks alcohol in order to tell folk tales. I mean, that's that's kind of thing that we really, really don't want to see today. And and the and the sort of thing that invented language experts say this is exactly what not to do, right? When you're when you're trying to invent languages. And so that had to be acknowledged. But on the whole, the chapter is just, to me, it just strikes as honest. It just strikes as, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to tell the story as honestly as I can, while still holding this franchise up as an innovator, and as a, a very important force, a, a, an important voice in the, the realm of invented languages. And there's no getting around that. There's no getting around that. There's no saying, oh, well, Star Trek is better, or, you know, this, is, this other thing is better. You know, Star Wars made an invaluable contribution to, and and is still still making invaluable contributions to invented languages, and it's and it's broadening its own horizons. It's it's kind of evolved um, unto itself, and so and so it's it that's one of those things that yeah, I, I feel like you got to get in and wrestle with it and get a little dirty with it if you want to really get to the bottom of it. Sure, we can put everything up on a pedestal and just revere it, but I don't know if that kind of devotion really lasts. I think when you you know, it's almost like a relationship where it's like, you know, you got to get to know the real person. You may not like everything you find, but that doesn't mean you stop loving that person. You don't, you don't stop being in a relationship with that person. You just learn, you know, what you can live with and what you can't and, and, uh, you know, try to live in truth.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's not an either, or it's this, this is the kind of stuff that requires you to be willing to kind of wrestle with that stuff and to recognize that, um, there are ways to celebrate ways to criticize and ways to just like still approach the material in a holistic way that says this is valuable stuff but it's not above reproach
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly so then
0: in that regards you know as you're as you're going through the actual process after you've you've um notified the authors that they're in they're gonna be able to have a chapter in a book like this um you You know, tell me a little bit more about the process as it continues on, you know this very long gestation gestation period of your literary baby. What happens? Mm-hmm. what happens to really hone the chapters? What happens if there's um, you know, I don't know if there's disagreements or or a desire to focus more on one thing. Um, how do you how do you get it to a place where all of these different voices are able to be put together into a cohesive book?
1: Okay, I can get us started, and then Amy, I'll pass the baton to you. Um, so we a lot of emails. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else feels that they're <laughs> I'm kinda of, I'm I'm kind of old. So I feel like my life sort of revolves around emails. And I'm i I'm a work from home. I'm uh an online instructor um so I do a lot of that sort of work from home but then this whole project has been a big work from home thing so email is the key so um, we set a deadline for first drafts um, for our um contributors after they were accepted and then um, you know you know they they all turned in drafts and we gave them you know um guidelines in terms of how long it should be and the kind of um the kind of citation style we were using, and other little formatting things that might be helpful to them as they compose their essays, and then they turned in essays, first drafts to us. Um, and then, you know, I think Amy's and my job at that point was to read the essay, not not sit there with our red pen, um, uh, purple pen in my case, but rather just read the essay and just see how it reads. You know, just kind of take a look at what's there. And then for me, I would do that. And then I would kind of go back and start going through it. And and just, it was a lot of asking questions like, okay, so you've said this, but what about this aspect? Or you've said this, have you considered this other thing too? Or, um, you know, of course, if there were any, you know, sort of like issues in terms of like, maybe a, a source that they, there was a source that the author may not have known about maybe, um, yeah. you know, like, a. A book, a, a fiction book, or a comic book. Even there's some really important information about um, some of these characters that are being dealt with in comics. Um, so, so to draw their attention to that, or or maybe there's a TV show, an episode of a TV show that maybe deserved a little. There's so much Clone Wars, you know. <laughs> like it's kind of like, whoa, you really got to know a lot of Clone Wars. And fortunately, I have a 12 year old son who is basically obsessed with Clone Wars. So he's got it on in the background, like every single day, and um, So, a lot of times I'll say, Hey, this one character, were they ever in Clone Wars? Oh, yeah, they were in season five episode, you know. So, I'll just use my little research assistant (laughs) to say, You should watch that Clone Wars thing and then comment on that too, you know, just because we want to have a complete analysis, right? And that's why, too, you know, many heads are better than one. And so, you know, nobody is expected to just know all this stuff and have the map in their head, except Amy Raquel. I think she pretty much does, Um, (laughs) which we are grateful for. But, so, so that was kind of the process. And then we would send it back to them um, and say, hey, here's a kind of a bulleted outline of, we would kind of gather our, Amy and I would kind of gather our thoughts and we would put it all into one communication and say, hey, here are the things that we have to say about your chapter, you wanna take another stab at it. Um, and it was always, it was never like a, okay, totally rewrite this. It was always just like, okay, take it again and go through it again and, and maybe think about these things and see what you come up with. So Amy, you wanna take the process from there?
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah, so, so we would get then a revision back from each of the authors, and that's the point then when this becomes the academic book, <laughs> because um, for Vernon Press and we are in the uh, series in Cinema and Culture, which is the subset here of um, where where our books go. A requirement is blind peer review, which means. Uh, really some research on our end, because we chose to take that uh, on ourselves. And I think it was a a great move um, to to find for each work, and given that we've got different disciplines represented here and different approaches and different uh, arguments, for, for each approach, each essay, who would be an expert? with the same kind of disciplinary background, right, coming from the same field, a scholarly expert with proven publications um, who would be considered an authority who could look at this not knowing who wrote it (laughs) and just give honest feedback on it. And so every work in the book has passed peer review from an expert who read it and said, yes, this meets all of the standards of our discipline. you know, and sometimes there's feedback there, perhaps. Um, here's a source that would be really important to add here, um, a, a really authoritative voice in the field that you you can't, you know, you shouldn't talk about this without bringing this person in. Those sorts of suggestions come back from peer review. and uh, and then there's another round often of revision. Um, but that also, proves that even though we've already had many cooks in this kitchen with the author and and with us, that someone who didn't have uh, any vested interest in the book uh, but did have a long proven history in the field and and an interest in keeping this conversation at the highest possible level, um, agreed that this is a contribution and this meets everything we need to have um, for For this to be considered a proper scholarly work on this topic from this discipline. So that, as you might imagine, takes a long time <laughs> because also these experts are doing a lot of other things. That's why they're experts. So having the time to take re- revised essays and send those out and then get responses back and do any revisions necessary, that was another uh, time um, period there in this whole project. And then uh, it goes through all of the things that have to happen for for, um, formatting and being put in the proper um, context and the proper format for the press, which includes all sorts of things that you might not think of, like having keywords and abstracts and things that can be used in online searches and that sort of thing. And so each time this happened, we also had the chance to put in some new material. <laughs> and So we were constantly going back and thinking, hey, did something in Book of Boba Fett speak to this? Is there a new novel or is there a new comic that has something to say about this? So finally then, yeah, the, the whole process comes together. And, uh, and then we also had um, uh, the fantastic experience of getting to have, um, uh, well, contributors john jackson miller has written some of my absolute favorite <laughs> star wars novels and it was a, a thrill he's a you know a, a, a scholar as well as as a, a fantastic author of comics and novels um but we also then have the chance uh, uh to get uh, a truly wonderful um forward uh, let me throw that back to emily real quickly that was sort of the 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 icing on the cake there and uh and and emily was the one who who made that happen yes. but it was very exciting
1: the 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 delicious uh shakespearean cake Yes, um, that's right <laughs> so i am co-host of a podcast called potterversity which is an academic harry potter podcast and we have a wonderful producer laurie beckoff i will give her props right now because she had, i don't know what she was oh she's a big shakespeare person and she had performed during the pandemic she had performed some of ian desher's shakespearean versions of star wars shakespearean shakespearean pastiches of of star wars and sh- so she had participated in that online and she just got kind of curious about ian desher and so she got on his website and she was reading that he had um he had proposed to do a Shakespearean rendering of the founding of Hogwarts. And he had proposed this to Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling and whoever the powers that be um, would be to, and they had politely declined that. But Laurie was like, oh my gosh, what a cool guy. And, and, you know, Ian has masters, multiple master's degrees, um, you know, he's got a masters of divinity, I think and uh, he's a super interesting, very, very well-educated guy, and um, so she reached out to him, and she said, would you be interested in talking about your your proposal, this this proposal that didn't make it, you know, on our podcast, just just as a kind of a thought experiment, you know, and he said, yeah, sure, and he came on our podcast, and he was just lovely, just so interesting to talk to, and so you know so knowledgeable so so witty and and just we had so much to say uh, with him on the podcast and I just I kind of you know I didn't think too much about it after that but then when we were when we got the opportunity to do these books and we knew that we needed somebody to write the foreword and you know obviously it's a great thing to have somebody with name recognition and with Star Wars you know um, who's participated in in building up the Star Wars galaxy you know So I reached out to Ian, and he was he was very wonderful about giving us just a just a great for. I really loved forward um, about you know just the wonder that inspires love of Star Wars and how you know kind of it starts with wonder and then it goes through kind of all these phases and like even the academic phase where you're wrestling with it and you're you're trying to reconcile it or trying to compare it with what you do academically and you kind of and that uh, analyze it from that point of view and then but really it all just comes back to wonder and then a new tv show like Andor comes on and you're just like reduced to like uh, <laughs> like all these academic thoughts they go out the window for for a few minutes and then they come on come rushing back you know and it's all about the wonder once again and so so yeah so Ian was really really wonderful about all that. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> I love that. And I thanks, Lori that, Beckoff. <laughs> I
0: think that you could do an entire edited volume on Andor alone. I think that that show was so deep.
2: Agreed.
0: And I think yeah. that you would have a lot of proposals because I think that that ignited very academic thoughts in a lot of people.
1: Oh. Amy Amy and I participated in an an online academic conference um, called Realizing Resistance, episode three, that was their third. um, uh, And and it's all devoted to Star Wars scholarship. Oh my gosh, the Andor presence. I mean, Andor was in the room, the entire online two, two day, three day conference. I mean, you know, that show was just ever present. There's so many people who want to talk about Andor, including us. Both of us uh, had had papers that we gave about Andor. It was a, it was a lot less uh, light and fluffy than my midichlorians talk, I think. But <laughs> you know, horses for courses, as the British say.
0: <laughs> well, that might be that might be something to think about, especially after I'm you know I'm sure that season two is going to be just as meaty, oh. um, and. Probably not any more light and fluffy than the first yeah. one was. Yeah, uh, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, yeah, for sure. Um, well, in the time that we have left, I guess, you know, what I would like to do is just kind of, um, you know, I I, you know, I have not asked you this, um, you know, previously. So, you know, authors listening to this, you know, <laughs> don't take this as, as you've been forgotten or you're being lauded alone. But... just kind of off the top of your head what are just some of the essays some of the content some of the stories that even might have happened in the production of this that you just really associate with this book the things that just really stand out like this that that is what this the identity of this book is encapsulated by
1: Okay, I, I will start. We I feel like we've talked about the first three chapters. Um we said I we mentioned my chapter, um, but then the very next next chapter is by our good friend Katie McDaniel. And she's she is my co-host um, at Potter and she just did this wonderful chapter about Ray and Harry. So Harry Potter, that is, and how they are kind of kindred heroes and the elements of the stories that make them kindred heroes, especially maps and mirrors. And she explains how they come into their own heroic identity through these sort of mirror moments that serve as maps to their sort of destined heroic persona. And it's just such, it was, first of all, I mean, Katie's just a wonderful writer. It's a beautifully written chapter, but it's also so insightful in terms of these two franchises, which seem like, um, I don't I don't know. Star Wars always seems so much older and more venerable than Harry Potter to me, but when you kind of lay them out side by side, they're really contemporaries and they're especially going to look like contemporaries in about 30 years from now and or, or sooner. And so I, I really feel like her... Her chapter is just a great reflection on these stories of heroes in our modern age and the the kinds of the kinds of ways they speak to us um, as as audiences. So I'll throw it so that's that's one from me. I'll throw it back to Amy for another one. Oh gosh. okay, Th-
2: that's that's rough for me. I- I'm going to actually <laughs> I'm sorry, slightly different way here. <laughs> I would first say um, in in the area that I am um very committed to and have been interested in all of my life, which is in tie-in tie information, um, the the extra filmic stories, so the novels and the comics and such like that, it was a real thrill to get to work with John Jackson Miller, who's again, whose work is, is very, very, very high on my list of authors um, f- telling stories and whose work, crucially, has has bridged the span of both Legends and Disney-era work. So one of his novels, like Kenobi, which I I think of very highly of, I love that novel, um, is is now considered Legends. But A New Dawn, uh, the very first work telling story from uh, Rebels, uh, is considered to be canon now. And to have his perspective on the big picture of tie-in material and what we mean when we talk about canonicity and the relationship of the films and the series to the printed stories, what how these relate to each other and sometimes don't, and what that move, uh, putting some works in the category of legends, and then restarting canon in a new way, what that means and why it happened and how creators now and storytellers now are are reaching back and pulling forward um, inspirations and things that matter to them from legends so that they live again in new canon. That fascinated me. I also just want to give a really quick shout out here. It's really hard to narrow these down, but in an area that that is sort of one of my blind spots in in Star Wars and in fact in in genre storytelling is gaming. And and I appreciate how powerful those stories are, but it's not something I have as much personal experience with, and so I sometimes need a guide to sort of explain this to me, and and someone who really knows. And I really appreciate Aaron Masters' look at um, Knights of the Old Republic Two, the Sith Lords, and how we're given morality tales and choices that really lead to deep moral questions and wrestling with with powerful moral quandaries and and how this shows the depth of Star Wars storytelling and how it challenges us to think about right and wrong and how it challenges us to grow as people, Um, to have a a knowledgeable guide like that who's looking at uh, game and being able to, to sort of expose the story in in its depth there was really helpful to me. And I also want to say, speaking of gaming, um, this, I, Jennifer Russell Long has an amazing essay on um, in-universe gaming in Sabak, which again was something because I don't, I, that that's a blind spot I hadn't really thought about. Uh, that much, and so again, experts seeing things I would never have seen, and then immediately once they open that up to me, I say, oh, "Of course." And and now what I was seeing, in, you know, in black and white is now technicolor, or what I was seeing in two D is now three D. <laughs> so it's it's a joy to be taught by these by these authors. Sorry, I I went, I gave, I cheated. No, like, I too many. No, to you me. did <laughs>
1: great. You did great. And I will follow up to say um, Jenny Russell Long. I mean, that was just such a pleasure to go through that process with her um, of getting this essay ready for publication. Um, and, and, And Jessica, you asked earlier as part of your, I think your previous question, you know, were there ever like disagreements about, you know, what should happen or like, I mean, I'm just going to say right here, no, there were not because everybody was just such a team player. Everybody just wanted to make the their writing and everybody's writing just as good as it possibly can be. And so everybody just had these wonderful, gracious attitudes, even when we went back and forth. And and, and I mean, Jenny's is the one essay in the in the book where I'm, there were times when I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like above my pay grade in terms of like some of the concepts game studies and like the kind of cultural learning and cultural knowing that is promoted by an in, playing an in-universe game, almost like, like a role-playing game, and how that can develop cultural memory and cultural understandings that you can apply to real-life situations, you know, um, such as other artifact studies promote, you know, and so that was really interesting, but Jenny and I just went back and forth so long, I felt like we were we just needed to go get coffee after (laughs) someday. I still hope that someday we will Jenny, that's a for real invitation. Um, And I would just echo everything Amy said about the other chapters that she mentioned. I will also mention Paul Johnson's um, essay chapter eight. uh, This is the way the Mandalorian and the evolving serial medium. I mean, Paul, you know, I just feel like from the first moment paul handed us a really excellent essay and you know um it was it was a joy to you know i hadn't thought about i mean i was just so bowled away by how much i love the mandalorian um i like all the star wars so i like the andor star wars and i like the wild and crazy mandalorian star wars like i love it all right and so i i hadn't really thought about why and paul brings up so many um behind the scenes method Uh, factors of that show um, with the volume with the serial nature of it um, with the way it was released and the timing with which it was released um, that make me realize that yeah I love it and there's a lot of there's a lot of really wonderful reasons that I love it that um, were are by design Um, and that doesn't take away from the loving for me I'm just like okay I'm your target audience here we go right so so Paul's uh, was really great uh, we already mentioned um, Andrew Dr. Andrew Higgins um, essay on the language development in Star Wars really such a fascinating story from start to finish um, so yeah and then I will say I w- just to, just to plug my own chapter a little bit 2187 the best thing anybody can say and I've heard this a few times now the best thing anybody can say to me about the chapter is that after they read it they went and watched Arthur Lipset's short film, The National Film Board of Canada, um, 2187. And that is exactly the whole reason I wrote that article because I feel like this is a a very underappreciated and profound, deep, broad and wide influence on Star Wars, not just George Lucas' Star Wars, but Star Wars that's being created today. Um, And I really feel that the more we can understand um, and recognize the greatness of that film and its filmmaker, um, and the the way the way he thought and the way he thought about life, you know, the more we can understand what's going on in Star Wars. So so I will just say that much for mine. Go watch 2187 by Arthur Lipset. It's free online.
2: And read this essay because it <laughs> does change the way you you appreciate Star Wars. Uh, it's it's a fantastic essay. And and uh, Emily talked about. Some of her insights there at that conference that she mentioned, the Realizing Resistance conference, and I lost track of the number of people who were just making the the mind uh, (laughs) blown (laughs) expression I was like, thank you, because I've been I've been experiencing that for the last what year reading and rereading this essay. So uh, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one whose mind is blown. But it's it's fantastic. It's feathering for the cap of this book. It was fun
1: to have a Google Slides thing that went along with it because like, you know, in a chapter, you can't like show video clips and like put them next to each other and play them at the same time and say, look at what they're doing here. Look at what they're doing. Like they're making it just like this film. You know, I got to do that in this, at this Realizing Resistance Con, it was so much fun. (laughs) That's
0: wonderful. Well, if that doesn't convince you that there's something in this book for everybody, I don't know what is. I love the idea, you know, language and, you know, you got Knights of the Old Republic in there for the, the gamers and the, the um, you know, all, all of these different looks at like, you know, I, I do, I love that like a whole section, like part three of it is exploring the multimedia storytelling. So it's, you know, looking at those behind the scenes, looking at, at the technology. Um, so there truly really is something for everybody in this book. So, um, I mean, people can pick this book up through Amazon, through other booksellers. Is that where they should be going to? purchase it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. And I know that Vernon press has offered a new release discount of 24% and they have an order code. Um, so if you go, my Twitter handle is at EKC strand. Um, and if you go to the top of my Twitter profile, um, or 10 as I like to call it now, um, you will find that order code uh, for um, for that twenty four percent discount. Now, I mean, we will say that these are these books are marketed to um, institutions and academic libraries, so the price point is high for both the Star Wars and the Star Trek. Um, but if it's above your uh, your budget <laughs> for books, um, an, a great solution is to ask your local library, whether it's your public library or a, a, an academic library, to order it so that you can have access to it.
0: And Do you that- know if do you know if they have a a digital version, you know, something that can also show up on on Libby or other apps like that as well?
1: They do, um and libraries will get some, um but the price point to purchase it is pretty much the same as the hardcover book. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Amy was there anything else you wanted to add? Well, I'm just going to say that that in terms of of requesting it from your library, it is available in e- ebook and Hard hardcover form. And if th- there is the possibility of a paperback in the future, should people show uh, enough interest, um, either by purchasing it or by requesting it at the libraries. So our fingers and toes and tentacles are crossed.
1: <laughs>
0: Wonderful. Yeah, that is, that is always an issue when it comes to academic books. So um, hopefully there will be ways to get this out there to people so that everybody can enjoy it as well um but you know thank you both for being willing to come on tonight I guess as we end what I would just love to know is what are you excited about in the Star Wars universe going forward are there shows that you're particularly excited about books or other material that um that you're looking forward to or even in regards to um you know maybe you can't talk specifically about a lot of things but you know any projects that you have any desires that you have for the future
1: Um, Well, I will start, I will tell you that I have about six yards of this beautiful brown wool Melton in in my basement, in a box in my basement, that I am looking forward to sewing into a a new winter Jedi cloak for myself, because I am a member of the Rebel Legion and the 501st, and I enjoy doing a lot of charity events um, around my my, uh, hometown, or I should say the town I live in, of Columbus, Ohio. Um, So that's something I'm really looking forward to um, and continuing my work with them. I also, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm such a Rebels fan, such a Rebels fan. Like it's some of my favorite Star Wars. I remember Amy saying in her, the first class I took with her saying, you know, that she thought that what was going on in Rebels was some of the most interesting things happening in Star Wars at the time. And it was like, it was 2015, fall of 2015. And I remember thinking, really? it's a cartoon and she's saying this about it, you know? And so I went and checked it out myself and I'm just, I have been hooked. I, my kid is hooked. We got our neighbor kids hooked. I mean, I'm just like shake people and go, you have to watch Rebels. You know, so just the, the idea that, you know, Dave, apparently Dave Filoni has said that Ahsoka is basically Rebel season five. I'm just like, I'm totally here for Rebel season five. So especially live action, I'm super excited about that. Can't wait to see what we learn.
2: So, yes, I am excited about Ahsoka tremendously. I'm really, really excited about Andor the next season, of course, knowing that we're coming right up to what has become my favorite Star Wars film, uh, Rogue One. And so I'm really invested in the storytelling and the singular vision of that that series. So I'm I'm ready for Andor. Um, I am also really looking forward to um, some more uh, material from um, High Republic. Um, I think we're getting a collection out that's going to take us back to Jeddah again and collect some stories there and because I am very interested in the Guardians the Wills and uh, Jeddah, I'm interested in stories from Jeddah from all So. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also interested in perhaps doing a little bit more with some some work i've I've been doing that looks at issues that are brought up in Andor and also in Rogue One and some of the tie-in material, such as the uh, Guardians of the Wills novel and um the the adaptations that have come from that, um Greg Ruckus storytelling. So, uh, We'll see, we'll see what happens there. It's a really exciting time to be interested in Star Wars. So there's a lot to be excited about. And I'm always excited to see what comes out of Emily's uh costuming uh expertise. So uh, I, I get to to see all of the uh <laughs> photos of her fashion sessions as she's creating these new costumes. So that's a that's a thrill too, because I have none of that creativity. So I can just look and admire and, and see uh, <laughs> see what characters she becomes
1: <laughs> i make amy be my audience for it all you know <laughs> she gets the preview picture you know I, i'm looking forward to them being having a provable high republic jedi costume so that's i feel like i have two jedi jedi already i feel like that's my next jedi but i we need the the, the costume standards for the rebel legion so that we can get approved and you know wear them out to events and stuff so
2: looking forward to that oh. And how cool does the acolyte look? Sorry, I'm very, very excited about that as well. Everything I hear about that just just again, mind blown. so so, yes, exciting. Yes. Yes.
0: I wasn't that excited for it until all everything that they revealed at Star Wars celebration. And you know, of course, that's where, you know, I was kind of like, okay, this seems interesting. Not super interested from a tale, like from a dark siders perspective, but you know, I'm interested in this time period. But then I swear, as soon as I saw those white and gold robes on the screen, I was like, okay, okay, here we go. And then, mm-hmm. especially now that we know that uh, Vernestra will be in it, I mean, that that reveal at Celebration was unlike anything I've ever witnessed. Like that was so. I mean, I mean, truly, I mean, everything up here. You know, I got my my whole shelf of of high republic stuff. And it's been so much fun to find community. I mean, that that truly was the highlight of Star Wars Celebration for me was the fact that like all of these books have come out. And while you can also find people on Twitter, you're not likely to find people in your life who like the novels the way that you're going to you're going to at least find friends who are like, oh, yeah, I love Star Wars. I love the movies. I've seen the movies. Um, and so to be able to go and find communities there and dress up and cosplay and, and meet the authors like it's so much fun that this franchise and franchise it's like it offers so many opportunities for community, not just in in events like that, but even in works like this book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um when I about three events into um trooping with the Rebel Legion and the 501st that I was like I realized I was like I found my nerds. Like these are my nerds, you know? Like and it's it is it is amazing to be local with these people too and have have in, these in-person relationships that we can also foster with digital communication, you know. Um but but yeah, and and I do feel like this book uh, does create a community of scholars who you know, we, we're ACA fans, right? We're not just fans and we're not just academics. We are all people who, you know, to some extent are willing to admit that we're big fans of the thing that we study and and that that um, sharpens our analysis of it. It it kind of deepens and, um, you know, helps us to do what we do um, with this, with, with Star Wars and, and with other things. A lot of our scholars work on other properties as well. And um, so, yeah, you're right. It does, it does create a, a wonderful community across space and time.
0: Yeah, like I said, something for everybody. You find your your niche, you find your community there. Um, I just, I love the fact that, that um, in spite of all of its drama and foibles, um, these kinds of franchises are able to facilitate that. So
2: um,
0: I'm grateful that I've found Star Wars. It sounds like you guys are grateful that you have found Star Wars and we can all be grateful together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> absolutely and grateful for opportunities like this in your podcast to have these kinds of conversations that's that's really important
0: well absolutely and and we're so happy that you were willing to do so i hope that um this has convinced some people to go and um you know at least try to find a way to pick up the book and to enjoy it and um you know Goodness, let's just keep the excitement going. You know, whatever is coming, let's uh, think big thoughts and and um, cultivate that community. And I hope to be able to uh, see a lot more from both of you in the future as well. So um, to our listeners, thank you so much for, for your continued support. We love and appreciate you so much. Um, the guys will be back next week and we've got a very exciting um, guest coming up. So tune in to um, um, see our interview with Vanessa Marshall that'll be a wonderfully exciting time and um, I guess in everything just go and and enjoy enjoy Star Wars enjoy um, everything that uh, this franchise has given us so um, have a great night everybody and may the force be with you.